Welcome to Get Right for Sunday, a podcast designed to help you prepare for Sunday and beyond. I am Pastor Wright, and each week I have a conversation exploring the Bible readings for this upcoming Sunday. Join us as we discuss how the lessons are applied to our daily life in Christ. Welcome to Get Right for Sunday, and today we are going to look at the festival, the celebration of Reformation. And Reformation is this wonderful, joyful time where we get to remember that the gospel has been restored. The gospel has come to the church. The gospel has been given and revealed. And of course, we're talking about the Protestant Reformation when we have a German monk who sees what the church, and at the time it was just the Catholic church, was doing, and how the gospel was obscured, how man-made laws, man-made ceremonies, man-made things were being put in place instead of the gospel, instead of Christ. And so, of course, this is going to be indulgences. This is going to be um, the things that the believer, and if you could see me, you could see my air quotes, the believer would have to do to earn God's understanding, earn God's peace, earn God's grace, and just goodwill. And the idea about this is that we are to be righteous, we are to be holy, and we're to be righteous and holy unto ourselves. We're we're supposed to work to appease God, we're supposed to do what He says, and we're supposed to do this in such a manner that He then looks upon us kindly and uh, with a kind and good heart or disposition, and as if we can earn this. And uh, Martin Luther struggles with this. He can't figure out how to appease God because we hear even Jesus say in Matthew, therefore go and be perfect like your Father in heaven is perfect. And and this is just a a, a gut punch in the simple fact that all have fallen short of the glory of God. No, not one has repented. Not one has returned to me, as we hear in the Psalms. We have failed to do what God has told us to do. And if we have failed, if we are truly, as St. Paul says, dead in our trespasses, what hope do we have of restoring ourselves to a right relationship with God? What hope do we have by to, to earn God's good pleasure, God's good work? How can we earn God's love? Well, as you know, We can't. We're as useful and as good as a box of rocks in this situation. We can't do anything. So it takes somebody, Jesus, to then live out our life, the life we should be living, fulfilling God's law, completing God's will and commandments, doing everything perfectly. And not only does Jesus live our life perfectly, he then goes to your death. He takes on the wrath that you have earned with every disobedient act, with every disobedient sin, with every rebellious thing that you have done against God's law, will, and commands. 
he takes on as if he has sinned, as if he has done all your evil deeds. He takes the wrath of God. He truly suffers your hell. What's amazing about that is that he takes this on, and then he rises three days later. He takes your death. He takes your punishment. And then he stands victorious over your death, over your hell, over your sin, and says, I have taken that away. Go in the freedom of my life. Go in the freedom of my work. Go in the freedom of my love. And this is where we find our reading today. And it comes to us from St. John, the eighth chapter. And it's just a few short verses, and I'll read it for you. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say we, you will become free? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And, of course, this, ta- the, this gospel lesson is amazing because what we hear is sin no longer has power over us. Death has no power over us. Hell has no claim on us. And we get to live in the gospel. We get to live in the joy and the amazement of all that God gives to us. We get all of God's good stuff. That is absolutely true. However, we need to put this in its proper context. We need to put it in its proper place in our lives. We need to understand that this isn't about free will. This isn't about us choosing. This isn't us a, this isn't us waking up one morning and saying, I am going to follow Jesus. I am going to be a good little sheep and I'm going to stay with the flock and I'm going to listen to my good shepherd. I'm going to hear him take advantage of all his gifts, I, 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 me, 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 so on and so forth. Because again, we just put all the emphasis back on ourselves and our work and so on and so forth. We'll notice that if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciple. This is what Jesus says to the Jews. And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And again, how can we not get excited? How can we not look at the Roman Catholic Church or, or just about any other church and say, look what we have. Look how you are oppressing. Look how you're doing all these bad things. This is not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying simply, in himself, he comes to break you out of your sin, break you out of your death. And to be Jesus' disciple, this means that you are transformed into something else. You are a new creation. You truly are a new person in Christ. And to be a disciple is to be a follower, a student. And that means that you understand who and what you are. You're a redeemed sinner. You are a saved sinner. You are a reconciled, rebellious sinner. You have all these things that are broken, wrong, 
And it takes God in Christ Jesus through the Holy Spirit to show you, to give you, to deliver you these amazing gifts which then means that you really do get to slough off your sin. You really do get to slough off your death. You really do get to look at hell and say, no, I am a child of light. I am a creation in Christ who lives by his grace, his mercy, his power, his strength, and I have the promises of forever in heaven. And this is the truth. And if we have this truth, then this setting free doesn't mean that we now have the license to live any which way we want. It's not that we get to oppress others by the gospel. It's not that we get to beat other people up with the Bible or even our confessions. This means that our sin no longer binds us. We do no longer have the bondage of the will to sin. We are now free to love. We are now free to worship God with true, pure hearts, converted and made right in and through the Holy Spirit. These are the amazing gifts that we so often want to uh, minimize. We want to make it about just church activities or or just daily activities, but it is so much bigger because we're talking about life everlasting. And that result, that consequence of getting life everlasting has implications for your life here and now. Because you are free, you get to worship. Because you are free, you get to love your neighbor. Because you are free, you get to pray unceasingly to God, trusting that not only does he hear, but he acts. And he acts upon you, reaching out to the depths of where and whatever trial, tribulation that you are going through, and knowing that he sees you through it all the way to life everlasting. This is the freedom that we get to have. And again, this doesn't seem right, because shouldn't we have the freedom away from sin, which means that now we don't have to worry about anything. We can do what we want. We can now enjoy creation. We don't have to worry about church. We don't have to worry about doctrine. We don't have to worry about devotion. We don't have to worry about prayer, because, you know, God knows everything. This couldn't be farther from the truth. Because again, uh, the Jews trying to figure this out, and especially picking up on this slave language, and they have this great answer to Jesus. Uh, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you become? you will become free. And you hear this this animosity dripping from the lips of these people. How dare you, Jesus, say that we're enslaved? We are the offspring of Abraham. God told our father Abraham that we would be numerous, more numerous than the stars. We would be more numerous than the grains of sand on the beach. How can you say that we are not the chosen people of God? How is it that you will set us free? Who do you think you are? Now, obviously, this is unbelief. Obviously, this is rebellion. 
They're not opening their eyes. They're not seeking to receive. They're trying to pick a fight with God Almighty Jesus Christ. And they're trying to call his bluff. And again, if you could see me, you could see my air quotes. Who do you think you are to set us free? Or, and again, they're, they're, they're very narrow in their thinking. They're thinking about who are they enslaved to. And I do find it very interesting that they say they've never been enslaved to anyone. And I don't know if this means that they personally have not been enslaved or are they talking about themselves as a people, which would fly into the fly in the face of their history and heritage? Were they not enslaved by Egypt? Have they not been enslaved to the Babylonians, the Assyrians, and so on and so forth, all the exiles? Are they not currently under Roman rule? So, you know, putting all those things aside. And again, I, I think they're going to play the, the personal card. I'm not enslaved to anyone. I could do what I want. And again, this becomes very self-centered. This becomes very pharisaical. Look what I do to appease God. I'm going to invoke the name of Abraham and my heritage of my relation to him, and that will be good enough to get me into heaven. That will be good enough to get me in a good and right relationship with God. I will have God's love simply by association with Abraham. This doesn't help their case. Because once again, they are looking to put their trust, their hope, where the trust and hope is not to be placed. Because we have Christ standing before them. We have Christ offering to them, just as he offers to you, the great wonderment of his work, his gift, that really sets you free. This setting free is the promise of life, the promise of forever. And we can't look at ourselves. We can't say, as Lutherans, we have the Book of Concord. We are good. We don't have to worry about it. Or we're Lutheran. Or my parents were Lutheran. Or I'm a direct descendant of the German Lutherans. Whatever you want to throw in there. Again, this is a first commandment issue. We're putting our trust we're putting our love, we're putting our hope in things that cannot provide us with salvation, with the sure and certain hope of the resurrection to life everlasting. And this is what Jesus is laying before the Jews who had believed in him. And this is also what Jesus is laying before you. And this whole Reformation idea behind all of this, using this text to, again, remind us of the gift of Reformation. It's reforming. What are we reforming? Well, we need to reform ourselves. This is the repentant life. This is the disciple. This is the Christian. This is the church member realizing who they are when they stand before God. They are a sinner seeking mercy. They are a sinner seeking salvation. They are a sinner seeking redemption. And again, we are different than the rest of the world. We're different than Gentiles and unbelievers because we know we're sinners and we know where forgiveness is found. We know where hope is found. We know that it takes God 
to save and rescue us. And again, that is exactly why Jesus continues to answer, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. And this means that when we embrace our sin, when we promote our sin, when we live out our sinful flesh desires and so on and so forth without repenting or, or minimizing our sin or even claiming that the sinful things we do aren't sin, this is what our Lord is addressing. And we need to be careful because it's easy to do. Everybody else is doing, oh, the Bible really doesn't mean it. Oh, that's just a cultural thing. And again, we are acting as if we know better than God. And I don't know about you, but I never want to go to an intellectual battle against the creator of all things and say, I know more. God lays it out for us, and he's pretty clear. We are sinners, and our only hope is in him and the gifts he gives to us. And again, the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son has set you free, you will be free indeed. And that is an awesome statement. That is the peace, the mercy, the grace, God flexing his divine muscle against your sin, against your death, against your hell. And when we are not only baptized into Christ, but when we live in Christ, we get to have a place at the heavenly table, the heavenly banquet, the heavenly mansion of forever. This is the gift that we have been given as Jesus comes in the flesh to redeem and make you a partaker in all that he gives to us. This truly is a time of celebration. This isn't just a Lutheran thing. This is at the heart of the church period. Every church, every pulpit, every altar should be pointing to the fact that the sinner should reform their life. The sinner should transform their life and live in the sure and certain hope of the resurrection that is gifted to them in Christ. This is what we need to hear. And this isn't the gift of the freedom to then, again, as I've said a couple times already, to then live any way we want to, to, to live as a law unto ourselves, as if we know better. No, this freedom means that we are conformed to a Christ-like life. That is a sacrificial life. That is a spiritual life in God. That means coming to church and hearing God's word. That means dealing with your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, with their sins, with all the problems, because you too have the same sins. You too have the same problem. And when we gather together, it is for help, it is for benefit, it is for mutual companionship to face the trials and tribulations of this world, of this culture, of this flesh. We do this together because we have been freed. We are no longer bound to the evil of the flesh, of the world. We are now bound to the love of God, and we seek ways to let that love reign in our lives, in our hearts. And what, is, what does that look like? 
It looks like serving our brothers and sisters in Christ. It looks like exposing the truth of Christ crucified. It is exposing the truth of what sin does. It kills and brings to death. These are the hard things that the freedom of Christ gives to us. This is what the joy of life is in Christ. It is the freedom that we have because Christ so saw fit to restore us to a right relationship with God our Father. We truly here and now get to bask in the glories of God, and that will be fully seen in the resurrection. As you prepare for the Reformation, as you prepare to hear the gospel, hear the promises of Christ crucified, for they truly are yours. Thank you for listening to Get Right for Sunday. I know that your time is valuable, and of all the things that you could have watched or listened to, you have chosen to deepen your biblical understanding with Get Right for Sunday. Would you take a moment to give a five-star rating of this podcast on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform? This actually helps others to be able to find Get Right for Sunday. Again, thank you for your time, your prayers, and support.